very, very And what we noticed was um, police was gearing up. They knew what had happened. We was also dealing with the situation with um, George Floyd, um, some of the individuals that were still on trial. Um, um, court was still in um, process. And we were just like, we just couldn't believe that um, another African-American young man lost his life. And a nation of people seen him being in the vehicle and Kim Porter who had held her, um, her training for like 26 years, like being on the force and mistaking, allegedly mistaking her fire um, for a taser, if you will. So, and everybody was questioning that. So this is what we, this is what we came out of. There was a lot of bloodshed and tears um, at that place. This individual here was an individual protesting. Um, a lot of things was going on. A lot of people was going through their um, emotions. Some people, you know, threw items at the police officers, what have they, what have they. So the police officers um, had geared up for a riot, like a riot like you've never seen. And um, we, next thing we looked up, it was almost 300 cops out there. We were surrounded. They had us like boxed in, couldn't go out, none of that. You just have to be right there to see the whole deal. So um, it was just really gut-wrenching to see um, all the energy. It was just like the police, some of the police was, was taunting um, some of the individuals and he wound up getting shot with a rubber bullet, um, piercing his skin. And um, it was a blessing that they didn't kill him with that rubber bullet. As you can see, the blood is right there. It's, it's, it's a, um, a video, uh, it's an image that you can't unsee. It's an um, image that I want people to understand. Like when we're documenting, we must understand, like when it comes to photography and journalist photography, like a photography, um, a photographer can get the um, photograph and do a couple of things to it, put something in it, take something out, et cetera, et cetera. But for a photojournalist, you just have to make it raw. Just exactly what you see is exactly what you put out. There's no cutting and all that other stuff. You just like put it right there. You know, it's facts. This is exactly what happened. So this is what happened. So this is one of the um, images that I want people to see because some people are coming up with photos that happened during the George Floyd uprise and what have they. And they're just trying to make it seem like it was all people praying, people dancing, people, no, 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 no. People was getting tear, tear gas, um, pepper spray, um, rubber bullets, what have they. People has uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, St. Paul, what have they, has made settlements for people who got shot in the eye. And not only that, there's a lot of closed door settlements that's happened as well, that people have really been hurt during this uprising of George Floyd. Um, and also Dante Wright as well. Um, so we want to be mindful for that. And um, um, Stop the Cover Up is um, the red photo. And that photo, I wanted people to see that. Like that was just so powerful for an activist and a significant other to um, go down there uptown and really put that, have people to donate and actually buy paint and cover the whole area and then right stopped to cover up on it. It was just totally 
amazing how they did that. And that was with Winston Smith. And a lot of people um, think about Winston Smith and say he was totally um, um, ambushed, if you will, by deputized cowboy um, um, marshals um, that killed him. And there's no footage, they're not showing anyone the footage. And that's very problematic. Um, this individual had just came off a date with one of his um, lady friends and she never seen it coming either. They just killed him. They said he had a gun, allegedly. Um, nobody ever seen any evidence or any proof that this individual had a gun. So it's very concerning. And um, stop the cover up. People still want to know what's going on with this case. And a lot of people also know that um, Deanna Marie was tragically killed by a impaired driver, drunk driver. It wasn't an accident. He sped through the crowd, he killed her. Um, luckily, she had her car um, in a certain place. And when he hit her car, he hit her and knocked her into a pole, killing her quick. Um, also, a couple of marshals, one of them leg got broke, another one um, really hurt pretty bad. And um, this is just something that's really unacceptable. All this has to do with um, some people that may be right wing, but some people don't care about individuals just protesting. They don't care. Uh, we also know that um, there was um, a police officer in Minneapolis stated that um, he know how to get rid of protesters, just drive through the crowd. And uh, that police was um, dealt with, if you will, but still, the information was out there and a lot of people feeling like, hey, they blocking the street, we're gonna run straight through the crowd. Um, and that's problematic. But these photos are photos that we see. Um, this is something that, you know, you can't deny. Um, this other individual when I was in uh, Washington, DC and the brother with the tattoos on his back, one of his friends got killed, one of his best friends got killed. So he decided to get a lot of names on his back. And at first I thought that was like, oh man, whoever draw that like, um, you know, for that day did a dope job. <laughs> but I went up to him and was like, hey, this is tattoo. He's like, yeah, I, this is tattoo. And I was like, okay. So I took a picture of it and it's like, the fist of solidarity of all the names of people who have been tragically killed uh, by uh, police officers, if you will. And then we have this image here of uh, Mayan Burrell. Oh my goodness, just to um, think about this individual spent 19 years in prison for a crime he never did. Um, when we think about Just Mercy, it was a movie um, about a man who spent like a decade in jail for something he didn't do. We have Just Mercy right here. Mayan Burrell um, did 19 years. Uh, we were able to um, make sure that his case um, had some attention to it. Dr. Nakima Levy Armstrong, Racial Justice Network. Um, also, um, just like a, a lot of organizers had came together and made sure we brought sheer light on this case because it was very concerning that this man was sitting in there and had really blowed up as Amy Klobuchar was running to be the president. And she used his case and said his name, like people who did bad crimes or what have they. And she brought it, she shed more light on it. So everybody started talking about this case. 
and you know the facts didn't add up so and he wind up getting out of jail you know and uh, still to this day he still got a tight noose on his neck because um if you will he hadn't been paid for all these years he spent in prison um they didn't exonerate him they just basically let him out um and gave him strict um um you know guidelines of what he can do and what he cannot do but um the community has been holding him up high um he is also um, a muslim brother um he's been doing a lot of good things in the community everything he's been doing been really positive so we just really appreciate that and last not least um is at george floyd's funeral and um being at his funeral was really um it's really um it's kind of like being at a um sometimes you like uh, Chris can contest to this too and you you all contest to this because you all are photographers too like when something big happened right um such as a, a black person getting killed we see everybody coming from out of town and especially if it's something that should have not happened right everybody coming to town everybody wants to see you know what I'm saying? Like this circus parade of people that's basically out there um, wanting to catch the news, right? And want to see what's going on, right? And even um, myself and Chris, you um, kind of been treated kind of like biased because sometimes even us being local uh, photographers, um, we get pushed to the back front because there's other people coming here from out of town and they spending money. So, mm -hmm. They get to get the first, you know, okay, you get to go over here with George Floyd family. You get to go over here with et cetera, et cetera. You get to interview this person. And the local photographers that's here, they got to play the background, but they've been here through it all and been dealing with the trauma. Um, so, yeah, so, but that funeral was a historical funeral. And I just feel, you know, where are they now? You know, we have a mirror lock. Um, Where's the NRA uh, when it came to have a license to carry and knowing how to really draw your weapon? Only one um, gun owner came out and spoke private. I mean, not privately, but spoke, spoke bravely and said, hey, he did the right thing. No mirror lock should not be dead. You know, and um, he got a lot of backslash from that because he told the truth. He said, if anybody broke, came in my house, startle me i'm a deep sleeper <laughs> and i just wake up somebody kicks the couch because if you when, when when you look at the case and when you look at the footage of a mirror lock you see they basically come in the house announce themselves he still did sleep only time you see him move is when they kick the couch and once they kicked the couch, they startled him. I would have been discombobulated as well if somebody kicked the couch, startled me, and then they got these doggone guns and flashlights. I'm trying to wake up because the average person, I don't know how many seconds or minutes it takes to really actually get up and come up out your sleep to be fully awoke. But he was, you know, a couple of seconds, they killed him. That was nine, nine minutes, whatever, nine seconds. Did that put nine seconds he did. So um it's concerning of what we're seeing. And there is 
for me, um, really no decompression. Um, you're constantly on a on a roller coaster, up and down, up and down, up and down. We never know what's going to happen in Minneapolis, right? Um, so we just we're basically winging it, you know. This is like a decent time right now because no one has gotten killed by any police officer, whatever, whatever. But we know that it could be just right around the corner. It could be my child, your child, anybody's child. You know what I'm saying? So it happens, um, but I don't think a lot of it gets broadcast. Yeah. Like the ones you see are such a small amount of the cases that of people that get killed. Like I remember years ago, there was a guy who was working on his buddy's RV in the street. And the cops busted in and he didn't have any weapons on him, but they shot and killed him. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really any protest over that or anything. Yeah. Uh, I think Philando Castillo was just wrapping up. Yeah. I don't know timing. It's kind of kind of all mixes together over the years, mm-hmm. but that happened. Yeah. Um, and like that's just one case that you heard about. There's tons of other types of uh, incidences like that across the state where nobody ever talks about it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Can can you tell us how did you start and what made you start photographing? Um, I started essentially, um, this is totally off key, but this is basically how I started though. I had always been with the camera. I really started just filming stuff. That's what I was doing at first. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just always camcording stuff, right? And I will always like take pictures because I know deep down in my mind, even when I put this in my book, um, our photos will outlive us because soon as something happened to us, tragic or you know just a sudden death, the first thing people are going to do is go to our photographs. What you got on Facebook, what images they got of you, how they can remember you by your photograph, and how I started was. Um, my daughter was killed by a drunk driver in 2013. And her name was Brandy Ann Banks-Suter, man, so rest in peace. Also her friend by the name of Melvin Jones. Um, they were sitting at a stoplight on Olson Memorial Highway in uh, Morgan. An individual came driving 120 miles per hour, ran into the back of them, killed both of them instantly, sandwiched them in. And in 2013, I didn't even know how to turn a damn computer on. <laughs> I was computer illiterate, didn't want to think nothing about it, call me the dinosaur, or whatever. But I just didn't. It was just like computer was like it was too much because it was it took it took time out of me doing whatever I was doing. So I thought about it. I said, "Wow, why isn't?" they getting any coverage. The news wasn't really saying anything about it. I mean, like the first day or two, they would say something about it and then it goes dead, right? It took them six months before they even said the individual name who killed her and her friend and four more other people were in cars as well. So um, it was very concerning that they wasn't getting any basically airplane. So I decided to take them upon myself and do something about it. Because one thing that I know death do, 
it either changed you for the better or it changed you for the worse, right? So what I decided to do, I was like, well, I see what it'd do if I decided to just start doing my own broadcasting and start um, photographing and what have they. So that's exactly what I started doing. I started doing um, just different things coming out. I've always been in the community um, doing things, but um, this probably amplified what I was doing. I had to do something. I really want to see it. 
think we're live now. Hello? Yeah. Okay, sorry everyone for the technical difficulties. <laughs> we are back. So, um, good job, good job, awesome. So, so as I was saying, um, uh, my daughter was tragically um, killed by a drunk driver, and it prompted me to basically um, pick up a camera and um, just go from there. So, in 2013, I was very um, illiterate when it came to computers, any type of technology, what have they. Um, so, yeah, and my daughter and also her friend who got killed by the drunk driver wasn't getting any coverage. It took them six months before they even said the individual name who killed the both of them. And I decided that I wanted to do something different. Um, I hadn't been to school in 28 years. Um, so I decided to jump into school, just try something different. So I wouldn't just kill myself or get strung out on drugs. Like I used to be a long time ago, 20 years ago. And um, I wanted to do something different. So I decided, hey, give myself a break, get into school. Um, even though it would be as hard, um, I decided to say, look, I'm gonna do this. So I got in school, um, got my degree in PhDI, Photography Digital Imaging, also my associate bachelor's degree as well. And I just decided to say, you know what? I'm going to basically change the narrative, right? And with me going to school, it, it, it opened the doors for me, but it also closed the doors for me because a lot of people that I thought was, had my best interest didn't have my best interest. Um, and um, I decided to just keep on moving. And that prompted me to pick up a camera. And when I started uh, photographing, I seen the power in the camera, right? I seen the um, the press badges. I seen how much access I had to get around to go to different places with the camera. It became my weapon of choice. I was able to go here, to go there, go here, go there. But it's always been a struggle. And what I mean by it's always been a struggle because as me being a black man, right? Me showing up in places with cameras, um, um, I will always get kind of like, uh, what are you doing in here? What you doing here? You know, so who you with, right? <laughs> who you with, like you, you game of feeling, what have you. And it's, it's crazy. Always got the problem. On prime example, uh, Mr. Williams, who was killed. And um, like I said, I've been doing work, a lot of work, volunteer, just doing a lot of stuff just on um, general purpose. Um, Mr. Williams was a police officer who was killed by a distracted driver. 
an impaired driver as well. Um, he was basically pitching, picking the matches up off of a highway. I don't know if it was off of Highway 13 or Highway 212. I forgot his name. But I know his name is Williams. And what wound up happening was a woman was impaired and she hit him. She killed him. I go to attend his funeral. Undercovers just basically, basically almost attacked me. But well, only reason why they didn't do it is because Paul Bloom was like, hey, that's King Demetrius. You know, his daughter got killed by a drunk driver because they was questioning me. And I, I was dressed appropriate and everything. And so that's another thing that they teach you like when you're in, in college. They tell you like, okay, you got to know what type of event you're going to. You're going to dress to the occasion and have they always respect the weather because the, 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 weather, <laughs> the weather don't show no mercy for real. So if you're out here with biker pants on and it's negative 20, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're going to be in the hospital for a while, catch pneumonia, what have they. So um, I was dressed appropriate and everything, and I just felt like, wow, um, why is it always me? Not only that, I'm always thinking, like, when I'm in certain places, I'm the only Black person around um, documenting certain things. And mostly I don't see anybody in my fears. And if I do, um, they they very standoffish, right? Because also the work that I put my life on the line to do, a lot of people don't want to um, do this. Like, you know, just because of the people that I network with and uh, I'm on front lines with them, I'm also being, um, um, I was singled out, if you will. A lot of contracts has went through Minneapolis, Minnesota, and St. Paul. Um, a lot of people has been funded. A lot of people got houses. A lot of people got books. A lot of people got cars. New this, new that, new mistress. Whatever you want to call it, they got it, right? But the people who've really been putting the work in, like, from their heart, is, is very seldom mentioned. You know, people really just started just really saying my name now, right? Um, my mentor basically told me, um, it was John Turnipseed, he said, sometimes you have to... Um, do work for like about three, four years before people really, for free, when people really start knowing who you are. And then my other mentor, John Arthur Anderson, basically indicated like you have to put um, 50,000 hours in four times to be a photographer. Like, well, what do you mean? Like, he said, well, that's four times, five years, that'd be five years, four times. You know what I'm saying? Just putting work in. And that's just for free, that's just documenting. Shooting, 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 shooting. And you just be like, fitness witness is going to stop. And then after your five year period is up, that's thing enough people really start mentioning you. And not only that, you have to be careful being a photographer because a lot of, um, we got these YouTubers, we got these, these women out here just provocative or what have they. And another thing, being in college, they teach you like whenever you, photographing a woman, make sure you have an assistant there as well. So won't nobody come out with any false accusation. A lot of individuals make your way to the top and all it takes is one accusation and it's gonna take you all the way down because you gotta figure out you gotta come up with the lawyer fees, you have to, you know, um, basically um, stand up for your reputation. And then a lot of times, once that's put out there on you, um, a lot of people just bag back from you. You lose a lot of business. So you have to be real careful when you're using your weapon of choice, which may be your camera. So, yeah. Who, who do you make this work for? 
I mean, of, of course, I mean, I can assume uh, your daughter, but who do you make this work? This work is for the people, by the people, right? Because um, Gordon Park said the best, he said the most important person is the person in front of the camera. So the people that's in front of the camera, right? I'm just um, I'm just grateful that they allow me to photograph them, right? Because without a person being in front of the camera, it's really nothing to take a picture of, right? You know, of course we got people who take pictures of all other objects, but really to take a per a picture, a personal picture of like the work that you do is amazing of your your father. Work you did with the duck and the woman, you know what I'm saying? The work you do uh, right here, uh, people at the um, Pristine, like these images, people want to know their story, right? Everybody got a story to tell, but will they tell it? So once you see a photograph, they say it's worth a thousand words, but sometimes it's worth one, you just say, wow. I have, at what point did you? move from also being because you're going to constantly be a photographer but then you're going to have that become the photojournalistic with that purpose like at what point was there like a event or or a moment where you're like that's my focus mm -hmm. that's also what i'm gonna bring in my label mm -hmm. um, um in terms of the work that you do like what what was that or was there an experience that you could share yeah i, I think one of the, um, the the experience that I will share with you is like with the Philando Castile case. Um, and not only that, the Jamar Clark, I've seen the Jamar Clark case too. So with the Jamar Clark case, I've seen how um, people with power was able to change the whole narrative around and give the, the news one um, one detail which was false and people just ran with it you got these internet trolls um once the individual put something up there you always got facebook warriors they'll get on a computer computer warriors and stop and all types of stuff well he shouldn't have been doing this he shouldn't have been doing that so what we learned about jamal clark when he was killed uh, they indicated that he was um in a domestic dispute come to find out this woman was like a mother to him. He was just simply knocking on the MLM's door to try to see was his, you know, mother okay. And they took it to where he was trying to do something or abuse the woman. The woman fell down and broke her ankle. Mm -hmm. Anybody who had a, a broken ankle know how painful that is. Um, so they tried to make it seem like um, he was trying to attack this woman. That wasn't the case, but that narrative had already been out there. So everybody took it and run, ran with it. Um, when we seen the situation with Philando Castile, uh, we seen how um, the man said, um, officer, sir, um, I have a license to carry. The officer gave him a, a command to basically get his wallet as he was getting his wallet. Next thing you know, he's getting shot up in front of his significant other at the time. 
and a child in the back seat, right? You can hear the child in the back seat saying, mommy, mommy, they shoot them, they shoot them. And I was just like, whoa, like that really impact. I mean, like to, to, to see him, like to see how they shot him up, see how the officer shot him up with disregard and then walk out the courtroom. Um, I was able to be in the courtroom like one of the other um, African-American um, um, journalists in that courtroom, reporters. And they made his family really uneasy. They told him they couldn't sneeze, they couldn't cry, they couldn't talk, they couldn't have no outbursts, none of that. They treated the Fernando Castillo family as though they had killed somebody that was white. They drove them. To, uh, it was just so, it was unbelievable. You had to be in the courtroom to see what they did to them. And I was just like, no, the same what happened. So to have um, eyes that wasn't have the, um, the glue shed and have the duct tape on my mouth to be independently this was the way to go. Because if I wasn't with any other place, they were like, oh no, you can't say that. You can't be non-biased. You gotta be this, this, that. No, this is what happened. This is what I witnessed. This is what I witnessed. So I want people to see, I, I want people to hear from an independent lens exactly what happened, right? You all can, you know, look at it from any angle you want to, but this is what happened. And a lot of times the family, they be in a certain situation to where they be so traumatized for what happened to them that they, they words may not come out right. They might just curse the whole world out, right? Because they angry, because they just went through a traumatic um, experience, right? And they're not articulating their words right. And a lot of times they lawyers, Put the hush on. We can't talk about this case. It might, it might do this. It might do it. It might um, um, jeopardize your lawsuit that we have against the city, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the family can only say so much. So yeah. So that's why it was important um, to have independent journalists and you know individuals out here um, independently, right? And um, I, I said I was. I don't want to be the first individual to report anything. You know, I just want, when I come out and say something, I just want to be accurate about what I'm saying. I want to look it up. I want to understand what it's about. Then I want to just like give my analysis and say, okay, you can check it. I got this information from here to here. So, yeah. so where do you feel you fit in the landscape of journalism? I mean, at the, at like all different levels, you have mm -hmm. like corporate media at the top, like mm -hmm. then you come down, you have like, um, wire services, the big newspapers, mm -hmm. then you have live streamers and kind of everything in between. Mm -hmm. So where do you feel you're, um, you fit into that? And why do you think it's important to be where you're at as an independent journalist? I feel I fit into, um, and this may be <laughs> weird to some people, like I fit in the realm of um, an individual that's a recovering addict, right? Person that was doing dope, years and years ago and clean my life up and just start doing something different. I fit in the realm of this individual who was traumatized as a kid 
Um, I didn't know if he was going to make it to be 13 years old. Uh, I fit in the realm of an individual growing in the projects, growing up in the projects, um, um, bugs all around, you know what I'm saying? Just got it from the mud, right? And now I'm here, right? And um, the thing about um, making it and doing this work that I do, I never forget to send the elevator back down once I go up. You always got to send the elevator back down, right? So I want to make sure that I'm passing this on from generation to generation, that people have a, um, a voice and a platform, right? Um, to speak power to truth, because a lot of people, um, you know, you got these little gadgets, these little clips of um, YouTube, you got these little clips of different things of uh, people doing silly stuff and went viral, right? But the things that's positive won't go viral. Won't go viral, right? Because it's positive, right? You put something out there that's tomfoolery, it's going to go viral, right? We see a lot of that on TikTok and what have they. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? They paying people to do things that's tough for them. They paying them for that, you know? And you know, I, feel, I feel in the realm of um, just like, it's just a natural, it's just any, anybody can be doing this. Anybody can do this. You know, just pick up a camera and just be careful how you do it though. Pick up a mic and be careful how you do it. Do your research. Um, don't don't step on people. When you're coming up, don't don't step on people. You know, always always remain leveled. I'm kind of curious with the whole idea, and I think this kind of goes back to our beginnings of like talking about shaping what the truth is and how we have a big hand in doing that for the audience for these for the for particularly with all these cases and all these murders and like um incidents that has happened that really affected the community how do you how are you able to really think critically of shaping that truth like because i so what i find really for me it, it's really i'm curious so like the the words that you speak so clearly is like this is the truth um when it's also could be said like this is my truth or this is this is what you stated facts of the situation so how do you wrap your head around all of that when when um photographing or um if you're doing video like your live recording right um, cause you, you know, cause it brought me to thinking you're like, oh, we can just do it through sixties, but mm -hmm. then you're talking about how people can just focus mm -hmm. again, then that, the, the act of crafting their, their truth, right. Part of with, within, in conjunction with like what you're trying to do. So how do we come to an understanding that's what we do with the, with our work, right. Or with, with photography, let's say. Mm -hmm. You no, know, I, I really think like when it comes to the truth, what have they, everybody have their own, their own narrative. Everybody's out to, um, everybody have their own way of seeing things, right? My truth may not be the next person's truth, right? Even if it's factual, right? Um, prime example, um, this might be off key, but it's, it's, it's correct. 
Um, when we talk about Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer and everybody know when scientific proof and facts indicated what Jeffrey Dahmer did. The Jeffrey Dahmer mom loved him so much. My son didn't do that, even with facts, even with the ballistics of everything. She said, no, my son didn't do that. Even what they said, like Jeffrey Dahmer um, hung a cat and took his neck off at a certain age. He was 10 years old, this and this, that. It, she's like, no, not my son, right? That's her truth. Mm -hmm. That's how much love that she had for her son. She refused under any circumstances, breathing a dead believe that her son would do something as gut-wrenching as what these people making them out to be. But the facts prove itself, and you got 20 witnesses talking about what your son did, how he cut people up, mutilated them, tried to assault them, this and this and that. But her truth is her truth, is what she believed. No, my son didn't do that, right? That's her truth, right? She can take that to her grave with her. But other people have their truth, right? It's if it quack, quack like a duck is, <laughs> look like a duck, you know, all that stuff. It's a duck, right? So everybody have their own perspective when it comes to truth, right? So I guess that's the way we would leave it. Everybody got their own perspectives. So you're okay with people coming? To your pictures or anybody's pictures, say like, even if they have it in front of them, but it's like, you know, it's not what happened. Uh, would you repeat that? So, uh, are you okay with people coming to your pictures and saying, like, no, that's not how it happened? Of course. Who, who am I to judge? Those who judge don't matter, and those who matter don't judge. I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to let them have their own. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're right. Two things can be right at once. You know what I'm saying? But one thing can be right at once. Okay. You have your truth. I have my truth. So, I'm not going to get into no, no pen match or whatever. No, no, you're right. You know, whatever they say. Okay. Okay. But, the truth of the matter is that what makes it common sense, right? What makes it common sense? What's the common sense of this, of what really happened, right? And why are we in a predicament that we're in now? So when you're photographing, do you think what you're photographing might be a historical event? Or it doesn't sink until later when you're processing the images or when you print them and see them or when you publish them. The weirdest part about it is that I really never published any of my photos. Um, I never made any money off of none of my photos. People were never paid me for any, all the work that I've been doing, people never paid me for it. Some people probably gave me a little donation, um, $100 here, $300 here. Depends on where I drive back and forth or something like that. But when it comes to like getting 10,000, 20,000 or 50,000, never. Never did no grants, none of that stuff. Never got none of that. All the work that I've been doing has been just like from the heart, just like 
That's it. Just been, I've just been doing it. Through my gas money, through my time, through um, leaving my children, you know what I'm saying, or telling them, okay, I'll be back. Uh, We're going to go do this and do that, set up, set up. You know what I'm saying? My children, I owe a lot to my children for them allowing me to be able to go out and do what I do. And I tell them, one day, you guys are going to have to follow this. If not this path, y'all going to make your own path. And you all are going to see how fortunate you all are to have me to do the work that I do. And to do it without no, no expectations, right? With no expectations. But regardless of the money, I mean, uh, I mean, I have a problem when, when Maya was released and you were the first person there. And it is, it is a historical moment where a reverend is writing, the coffin is there, everything. Mm -hmm. This is a historical moment. Mm -hmm. Are you thinking about that when you're taking the picture? When I when I take a photo, I'm just thinking about when I take the photo, I'm just thinking like it's just an individual in the photo and they're all important. No matter no matter if they're um Al Sharpton, Reverend Al Sharpton, or um National Attorney Ben Crump, or Tiffany Haddish, or um Garland, it doesn't make a difference. These are important individuals, all of them, especially the individuals in a gold casket that we've seen Michael Jackson be um, put in, that we've seen Prince be put in. Like, who is this individual in this gold casket, right? And not only that, you got to realize that I got over two more hundred people that's taking the same photo, right? But a lot of them are working for big sharp companies. Me, straight from the dirt. Why do you think it's important for a black individual to do this kind of work? Because nobody can tell black people's story like that. Black people are brilliant with telling their own story. Asian people are brilliant with telling their own story. Hmong people are brilliant with telling their story. LGBTQ are brilliant with telling their story. Latinos, all, all different nationalities, they're all gifted in telling their own stories because it's their stories, right? So once we get somebody else that's not of our culture telling our story, it becomes very um, tainted, if you will, right? Because um, they may not grow up in a house where um, they loved ones um, was addicted to drugs. They may not because they may not have that same connection. It's a different connection. Like I couldn't go in the Hmong community thinking I'm gonna tell their story. I couldn't go in a Native American community thinking I'm gonna tell their story, right? It's not gonna happen. They're not, you're not gonna even get a platform like that. Um, I was so fortunate to be able to network with Clyde Belcourt, uh, one of the founders of AIM, American Indian Movement and photograph him, right? And anytime that I would come anywhere, right? Just because I was with Clyde Belcourt, you know, I was I was um open that access to go and move how he moved, right? Because he, he treated me as though I was his son. Just just connection, right? And uh may his soul rest in peace. And I never knew this would be um he came to my birthday party like two years ago. 
like shocked me. I'm like, this man is a historical figure. Come to my birthday party? <laughs> like, it's like, I'm just like blown away, but it was an honor, right? And um, it was an honor to be in his space and communicate with him because he always knew anytime I was out doing a sober dance network when the ball dropped, I would always take photos and just give them to him. You know, just put them up online, let them just take the photo, whatever. So, you know, that's like my tradition. Every end of the year, I go to the sober dance, me and my children, because I want them to know it's a disease out here and it don't discriminate, right? <laughs> it don't care if it's wet or dry, as long as it gets you high. You know, I, and I, I got children that's struggling with their addiction, right? And I just let them know, I can't deny you your pain. I'm going to always love you. The door's always open. But all that other stuff, you got to leave that outside. Because when you come up in here, we're going to pray about this and we're going to work on it. Because I'm not going to judge you. Because I have my trials and tribulations. I want you to know that I can't deny you your pain. Because if I try to do that, I'm going to wind up getting your pain. And I may not be able to live through it. And I mean by that, a lot of these young kids are dealing with young individuals that discombobulated didn't come up with a father figure and i'm trying to go get my daughter or myself or one of these individuals out here and man i'll blow my head off just because i'm trying to go and talk to them they thinking i'm gonna beat them up so i can't deny them they pain i just gotta pray for them do you feel like you'd ever take a job if offered one for a company who's doing journalism you know, and actually, I don't think so. And the reason why I'm saying that is because what I see, it's gonna be like what Gordon Parks, Gordon Parks stated when he was at um, um, Town Life Magazine, he indicated like when he came on board in the, in, the, in the 60s, 70s, he indicated like, I'm not gonna write what y'all want me to write. I'm gonna write what I see. Otherwise, these people ain't gonna trust me, they'll kill me. You know, so that's why he was able to network with the Black Gangster Disciples, the Vice Lords, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, um, Malcolm X, um, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. He was able to go to different places, right? And he was able to tell exactly what he's seen. And so many people respect the Honorable Gordon Parks because he wrote with no discrimination. He didn't take no sides. He wrote exactly what he said. And when um, they would read his story, they were like, oh my goodness, this guy's brilliant. And he was self-taught. You know, just think about how brilliant, you know what I'm saying? Um, back during those days, the black man with the camera, you know, what a fluke for him to, to take a picture at this high-end fashion store right here in St. Paul. And, and, and he over double exposed the photo, but he had one photo, right? He said, what was the rest of the photo? He said, well, I over exposed and they let him keep coming back, right? Because that was his break. Then you had Joe Lewis, the brown bomber, the boxer. His wife decided to tell Gordon Parks to come to Chicago and photograph him. And he just went from there. But he told his story, the learning tree, um, um, a half past autumn. Um, I urge anybody who haven't um, seen that to um, just look at it. It's on YouTube, half past autumn. And 
It's a brother by the name of Mr. Wright, um, who said he wanted to do this um, piece about Gordon Parks because he was getting a little older. But Gordon Parks was able to tell his truth. And not only that, uh, Mr. Rice had got funding from a well-known actor and a lot of people didn't know. Denzel Washington helped put that piece out there. And um, I just want to thank Melvin Carter for making um, this month of uh, March the Gordon Parks month. And um, yeah, his, his, his niece and all of them are continuing to keep his legacy going, keep on putting his photographs out there, keep on putting his work out there. So definitely. It's got it's brilliant photos. When you look at his photos, it's like no other. You know, I will mimic him. I will mimic some of the stuff they do. I see you gotta find the time to do it. So it's amazing. Self-taught. So I have a question. Like this is kind of like what's been in my mind because what's been up, but after photographing an event, I mean, there I don't know how much time in between from that event to when you Look at that photo sometimes instantaneously after, so just see what you get. But what do you guys, what are, what is being done with the photos that you're not selecting to show? <laughs> hard drive. Okay, Chris. I guess just a hard drive. You store it and you catalog it because you know it's important. Okay. You might not ever come back to it, but like, you know, when you go into it, you're not going to use every photo. So it's kind of like the archives, I guess. And, and it's weird because. Uh, in, in some places, um, you would take photographs and sometimes you might take 500 photos at one gathering, right? But you're only going to show 50 of them. That's a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it's like live. You're only going to show 50, but that's going to be your 50 top ones. Or perhaps you might just show 20. But guess what? You never throw them away. You just put them on the top shelf and come back and revisit it. And it's always a precious jewel right there in them photos. I mean, you can just um, just click which ones are nice and big. Like, oh, how did I miss that one? So, so let me get you guys to this point then. So then what goes through your head to select that top 50 or 20 or that five? Like, what is it? For me, it's like, what tells a story? Okay. You don't want to necessarily, you select the best images that of it. But then you also want to include ones that are like telling the beginning, middle, end, mm, okay. maybe something else. But it's important too because, like, when uh, Mel Reeves passed away, mm -hmm. I went back into my archives and found a bunch of photos of him that I could mm. put out there that never, like, nobody ever saw. Yeah. And, like, I photographed Soundset one year and DMX was there performing. Right. When DMX passed away, um, I looked back and I deleted the originals. So I just had one or two photos of him. Mm -hmm. So it's like I wish I would have kept it. So even if you don't think you'll use it again, you might. Yeah. And that's powerful what you said. Remember what I said, like never throw nothing away, right? Yeah. So, and, and it's it's crazy that you said it because like I've been documenting so long, and I remember when may her soul rest in peace. Um, Lexi Alize passed away, um, rapper right over here in St. Paul. Um, brilliant. Oh my goodness. I remember when I met her in 2016. Um, pipe water pipeline, you know, said no dapper. And um, oh my goodness, she was rapping. I was like, who the hell is this little kid rapping like this? She is brilliant. She was only 16 years old. And she was just like, I was like, she's gonna be rich one day, right? I was just taking photographs of her. Um, 
So after she got finished, and I recorded her, I literally recorded her with my camera just sitting still. She was rapping so long, I, I had to like put my hands up like, that's how long she, and she was gifted with, you can tell she had been doing this, but her music was so powerful that I couldn't leave from in front of the camera. It was just like, oh my goodness, she's, she's talking about pain. She's talking about what every young child want to talk about that's at home, perhaps cutting themselves, pulling their hair out, going through depression, talking to, you know, their parents don't want to listen to. This is what this young child is talking about. And she's unapologetically with it. And she has so many fans and it's, it's so sad that she wound up mm. passing away, if you will. But I had these images of her and I just kept them on the back end, right? Because I wasn't going to throw them away. I was thinking about throwing them away because I had so much stuff on my um, computer and stuff like that. And like I said, I was computer lit. I was putting everything on my computer. I didn't know the computer can only stand a, a little. <laughs> I'm just throwing there. I'm just like, I'll just put it on the computer. computer. So um, eventually when she passed away, I was able to give the family the images that I had of her, right? Of Because um, a lot of times, and, it, and it's hard to say, but it is to say, like when you're doing positive things, right? When you're not, it's not that you're talking about your family, you're talking about what you went through, right? Some people get offended by it because you know what happened? Don't, what happened in the house stays in the house. So when you're rapping and you're putting it in the music song and people can relate and it's like, no people did that to you? You know, just growing pain in this, um, to save your images, right? You can always go back to them and just make different tweaks. Of Even some of the images that I got, I didn't really know how to edit at the beginning. I didn't know none of that stuff. Now I can go back to them and say, oh, okay, this is how I edit it. You know, this is what my teacher was talking about. Because when I was in school, I was going through a gut-wrenching divorce and I couldn't focus. I really, I really couldn't focus, but I was in school, going to school, graduated GPA 4.0, honestly, and I didn't realize that I had did it, but I had, I was focused into school. Even though I was discombobulated, I was still focused on going to school and not, not blaming, you know, not doing the blame game. Like, oh, I can't go because I'm depressed. Nope, gotta go to school, gotta go to school. And this, this is one of these powerful pieces by um, this woman who was in a car accident, not a car accident, a drunk driver hit her by the name of Emily Brooks. And um, she was in a coma for like two months. And when she woke up, she was only seven years old. When she woke up, the first thing she said, when can I go back to school? She was paralyzed from the neck down, was one of the first women um, triplegic to be accepted in Harvard University. Mm. They made a dorm especially for her and her mom. Her mom was a nurse. And that was a powerful piece. And I read that that was one of the first assignments that I had to do in my English class. I wanted to quit school that, that day before I, before I had that assignment, I wanted to quit school. So they said, well, this is your assignment for today. So when I started reading it, this and this, I asked the teacher, are you playing a trick on me? Because I just, just got with my daughter, just got killed by a drunk driver. So I'm like, this assignment is about what? 
and I read it. And what made me stay in school is when she said, when can I go back to school? She paralyzed from the neck down. What excuse do I have? That's the only thing I thought about. What excuse do I have? This woman paralyzed from the neck down. What excuse do I have? And I think too, like what we're photographing, there's a lot of people that come up out of it into pretty incredible positions. Like um, Ilhan Omar. Yeah. She's at the governor's mansion. I remember running into her because her and her campaign team was um, putting in a last bid because they failed to meet the deadline. So they had to get people to sign that they're okay with her running. And they didn't think she had a shot, so they let her continue. But like I talked to her and her team as she was going to that. But I remember getting photos of her at like the governor's mansion. Mm-hmm. And just like Maria Issa, this incredible, mm-hmm. um, really talented performer, musician that like plays instruments and sings. Mm-hmm. Um, she's incredible. And I saw her in a bar, like a dive bar, years ago at like some sort of celebration around activism. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that's incredible to be able to document. Yes. And even Angela Conley at the fourth precinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had no idea she would end up running for office and becoming such an incredible um, politician. Sure enough. What do you photograph when you're not photographing in the street? My kids, the grandkids. Um, and it's crazy because they would go somewhere else and get photographed. <laughs> they would go somewhere else and get photographed and pay them. But then they come to me and say they don't have no money. <laughs> it's like, but I mean, like, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's, it's, you look at it and you just be like, <laughs> you just laugh at them, right? So all you do is just politely just photograph them, just like forgive them for what they know not they do. <laughs> Where do you think you're going to be in 20 years with the journalism? Like 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road? I believe I'm going to be into like, I can see myself doing more like, um, like Gordon, something like what Gordon Parks did. He changed the narrative. He did his photographic work, but once he made the learning tree, once his um did the shop, he did, um his son did um another movie um um that was a, a that was a hit you know and then for his son to get killed in a plane crash when he was young that was really um you know disheartening for Gordon Parks and that played on Gordon Parks for a while that his son got killed in a plane crash and um he had gave his son um a nice piece of money to um do this movie and um it's called the Mac I believe it was the Mac and um he said he never would have thought that movie would have made as much money as it has made. And it's one of the classic Renaissance movies that a lot of people uh, watch to this day. Um, it's, you know, movie movies, man. It's all Somebody always want to see a movie, always want to see a clip. And just like you see it on TikTok, these kids or whoever, they got like a quick look second. And next thing you know, they got a, a thousand views. You know, somebody sitting there brushing their teeth. Somebody doing something silly, somebody wearing a wig, different stuff. People go viral. You even got like a couple of individuals who has um who has, you know, just like mentally challenged. That's viral. You got a DJ, that's viral. You know, just mentally that's viral. You don't just like 
everybody have a uh, 15 minutes of fame, if you will. Um, Andy Warloff said, and I, I love a lot of his work that he did screen printing with Michael B. Squick and um, just like different artists. Um, you see to this day, um, it's a lot of people that's following their work as well, too. Is there anywhere that you feel drawn to? Like, I know your heart's in the community and you've been doing this work forever, but like, do you feel really drawn overseas to cover a war or like <laughs> documenting a certain community you haven't been able to get into? Like, I don't know. My, my kids, they still, I'm like, my daughter, she's nine years old, so she got to be 18, you know what I'm saying, for me to really be able to move around. So the work that I do, I kind of like just keep it to where I'm at because my children are still children, right? I'm still a single four-time father, dad. Like, have my kids 24-7, no breaking, right? And I'm really protective of my children because once you lose a child, you know what I'm saying? And your life never is the same. You have a, like, it's like a hole in your heart, right? And you're trying to make sure you don't get a couple more holes in your heart, right? So you kind of protect your children and keep them close to you. Because mm -hmm. if anything happens, you know, you're going to blame yourself, just point blank. Despite the fact who you let watch them or whatever, it's going to always be your fault because it's always um, sits in your heart. Because when we were a child, um, we used to um, sit in our mother laps, you know what I'm saying? And um, so now we become adults. We sit in our parents' hearts, you know what I'm saying? So that's like a big deal when you're um, thinking about as getting older and, you know, saying my children, I should pass before my children. My children shouldn't have to bury me. I mean, I have, should have to bury my children. And a lot of times we see in these young generation, they parents are burying their children, so. So then as a photographer, photojournalist that goes into these high tents, you don't know what the outcome is, but is there ever a time where you had to gauge the, the, I don't know what you call it, like kind of like the risk? Yeah. And, and understanding like if you are responsible, then like what are you, what is, I mean, I mean, that's my thing, like then what keeps you to go and photograph, even if it's in high extreme dangerous situation and there's no guarantee, right? Mm -hmm. So then what is that understanding you have? Or like, well, I don't know, like what, I, I would like to know from your perspective, like when you're going through a situation. I, I went in a high situation, like a high risk situation, if you will. When I was covering Tenth City, and like I say, like this is Native American land, right? So I just want to make sure that I'm being respectful um, for the Native American and indigenous people. Like I was documenting over there on Franklin, right? Um, I didn't feel I was qualified to go, but I was in school. I ain't had nothing else to do. I was going through a divorce. I wanted to spend time and giving back. But when I went over there, I didn't go over there with a camera. I went over there with 50 blankets. Nobody knew who I was. I didn't go to the camera without. And another time I went over there with four boxes of food, canned goods. But a community, like, and Definitely, I was like, man, appreciate you this and this and this and that. Then I told him the type of work, man, bring your camera, you can come. I was invited in there, right? And um, 
I never showed any of my documentations and none that I did when I was basically um, doing things at the encampment. I never showed any, I put that work out there for people to see, like these are normal people. And the thing about it was like people that had degrees. I'm talking about people with the letters behind their name, right? Wind up in a situation, right? Uh, we all know where we've been, but we all don't know where we're going. And for these people to land on hard times, and a lot of them was saying their stories about like how they're not going to leave their significant other because they have a situation where they had called a felony. And now um, the housing people or the shelters would not allow their partner in because their partner have a felony, whatever the case may be some type of warrant. It might have been some misdemeanor, whatever the case may be. But they'd rather stay outside with their partner and go whatever, go through whatever their partner went through. As we can see with the um the Lovings case back in the 1960s. And um she loved her husband. Her husband loved her so much, Richard um Lovings. And they loved each other so much that they was willing to go through anything, whatever they had to go through. They locked these people up just because they was in love with one another because this white individual had impregnated a black woman and they didn't want that to be. They went all the way to the Supreme Court. They, they passed in 1975. You think about in 1955, Brown versus Board of Education with Thurgood Marshall. Think about all this education thing is separate but equal. And when you think about the trials and tribulations that we go through to get to where we at today, right? And we still got more work to be done. Still got more work to be done. It does not matter how many degrees I accumulate. It does not matter how smart I am or none of that. It does not matter. If there's a person that's in charge that's biased, they're gonna show you what they power. Do you ever see your independent media growing? Yes, definitely. I see it growing. And and when people start to um fully invest in me, give me some funding, then I can be able to help other people and hire people to assist me with my work. It's gonna be amazing. Because a lot of times, and I was, I would um, indicate these words of, and and this is the thing about seeing artists and communicating with artists. Is, um, Lexi Alizé said, um, um, "Life will do you dirty like the dishes in the sink." And what she was saying is like, a lot of people say that they will um, support their friends, but they don't. They don't come to their concerts. They don't come to none of the events. They don't purchase anything from them. They'd rather give it to somebody else. And here it is, they see them trying to build a brand for themselves, but they don't help them. They help everybody else, but they don't help them. It could be because an individual know, like once people start to help you and support you, you're gonna name your price and live your life, that's it. Once they find out, like, they already knew you was a good person. 
once they really find it, they'll have to talk to your assistant and get on your calendar. If they can get on your calendar, if you got time for them. What would you say to a young person that is trying to start photographing, start doing capturing images, uh, telling stories? I would say to any young person that's trying to get into photography um, or documenting anything, to take your time. This world was not built in one day. Um, make sure when you're photographing an image, you be mindful of other individuals. Um, also make sure you don't try to compare yourself to other people. That's, I, I struggled with that a long time ago. And to this day, I don't do that anymore. Every once in a while, it might cross my mind, but it's, oh well. Because I had to remember other people have different followers from the followers that I may have. They have a different perspective from what I may have. So I don't try to put myself up against anyone else. It's enough room out here for everybody to grow, right? Um, an old man once said, a long time ago, he said, um, have you ever heard a tree make noise when it grows? Never hear a tree, never hear a tree make noise when it grows, just grow. Sometimes you just have to be silent and do what you do. People are gonna respect your work because the streets talk, the world's talk. And all you have to do is just keep being humble. And whatever you do, just be humble. Um, don't forget to send the elevator back down. Once you get up, don't forget to send it back down. Always reach out to other people. And that will, that's what will set you aside from other individuals, being humble. Yeah, I love my t-shirt. Thanks for me in progress. <laughs> These awesome boxes. Amazing. And there's a quote on the inside on the side. So read them before you throw away the box. I'm not inside. throwing mine away. <laughs> I know it's mine. Is it different or is it the same? Uh, I think it's the same for all the boxes. When I'm them up. Yeah. And those yeah. are stickers. Yeah. yeah. Throw that right on the car. Yeah. But yeah, we are coming to an end um, for our decompression dinner. Dinners. Um, we've had four of them, four wonderful dinners. And um, it was great to hear all of you guys' stories, all the questions you guys have for each other as photographers, um, the risk you guys take as photographers when you do go out and take photos. Um, that is very important. So, yeah, um, I want to thank um, our sponsors, our funders for supporting this. Um, I want to thank all of you again for actually committing to these four dinners every other week. <laughs> it was great having you guys here. 
And yeah, do you guys have any last words you would like to say? The dinner was marvelous. Just a big thank you, Tim Yes, thank yes, thank you, thank you, thank you all, everybody from In Progress. They are amazing, a grassroots organization that's just doing the right thing for the right reason. Everyone, no one else is watching. Thanks, love it, solidarity, respect. Mm -hmm. And then a big thank you to Alea for <laughs> making this happen. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>